0: So this morning we're going to study Psalm 73, which is like a spiritual echocardiogram. What's an echocardiogram? Well, I think I know what it is. Uh, doctors use physical echocardiograms because they can look and see what's happening in our hearts. They can watch the heartbeat and the blood flow and they can discern when there's problems or difficulties in the heart. That's what a physical echocardiogram does. And Psalm 73 is a spiritual echocardiogram because this psalm shows us what's going on inside the author's heart. Asaph is the author. This psalm shows us what's happening in his heart as he is being drawn into an area of deadly sin, drawn into this area of deadly sin, as that sin starts to impact him and, and bring about some very, significant problems in his heart, and then how God delivers him from that sin and the lessons that he learns as a result of God's deliverance. Psalm 73 is a spiritual echocardiogram into Asaph's heart. So let's turn to Psalm 73. It's a powerful prayer. We're going to be learning about prayer, but we're also going to be learning about how God frees us from sin and how it's good to just reflect that all back to God as we tell him We talk through the story with him of what he's done in our lives. Psalm 73. Here's the first question we want to ask. What deadly sin is Asaph being drawn into? What deadly sin is overpowering Asaph? Verses 1 through 3. A psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, Asaph writes. To those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, first verse, first couple of words, this is a psalm of Asaph. So, who is Asaph? Asaph wrote 12 of the Psalms that we have in the Old Testament, and he was one of the main worship leaders with the people of Israel. And in this Psalm, he tells us, he's talking to God about this, but we can read and we're learning, he tells us that there was a time when he became envious of the prosperity of the wicked. And this envy almost made his feet stumble and his steps slip. Almost. Now, what does that mean? Remember in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said that there are two pathways and all of humanity is on one of these two pathways. Every single one of us here, you're on one or the other. So one pathway is the, the wide path that ignores God and the salvation he's provided in Jesus just rebels against God, keeps God out of, out of life. That's the path that the wicked are on, the the wide path. But there's another path, the narrow path. And this is those who are receiving God's mercy in Jesus, trusting Jesus Christ, fighting the fight of faith, seeking to love each other, tell other people about Jesus. That's That's the narrow path. And Asaph had been on the narrow path, moving along towards glory. But his envy brought him very close to stumbling and slipping off that path. He didn't stumble and slip off the path, but his envy made him almost stumble and close to slipping off that path. Then look at how he describes this envy that had done that. Verse 4. He says, for they, speaking of the wicked on the wide path, they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble, as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression, and get this next line: they set their mouths against the heavens, speak against God, and their tongue struts through the earth. This is the wicked, who are on the wide road. Then in verses ten through eleven, he talks about the the, the followers, those who are sympathizers, that kind of acolytes of the of the wicked. Verse ten: therefore, his people, the people of the wicked turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is their knowledge in the most high? In other words, the followers of the wicked, they're, they're gathering around them and they're saying, I guess what they're doing is okay because either God doesn't know or he doesn't care. He's not doing anything about it, just letting them continue on in their wicked prosperity. Then verse 12, behold, these are the wicked Always at ease, they increase in riches. So you see how Asaph is envious of the prosperity of the wicked. Look at their riches. Look at their pleasures. Look at their comforts and their, their power. That's what I need. I want that. That's what I need to be happy. So Asaph was thinking that these wicked on the wide road were better off than he was. They had it better. Now, we can all be tempted to be envious of the wicked, right? Not that every movie star is wicked, but have you ever said, man, I ought to be a movie star or a sports star or a, or a, a rock star, right? Think of all the, the money and the power and the wealth and just the, I mean, all that you'd have. Anybody else? We've all probably thought about that. Keep your hands down, but yes. We're just like Asaph. There we are. That's us right there. Asaph envied the prosperity of the wicked. But the problem with envy is that it's a sin that that grows. It's like a a cancer that's just going to eat up what's around it. Envy doesn't just stay there content to be envious. Envy wants to do more. It always produces something in our hearts that's deadly. And we see that in verses 13 and 14. Look at what had happened in his heart. This is shocking. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. Walking on this narrow road, it's in vain. It's worthless. His envy of the wealth and the comfort of the wicked, makes him think it's a waste of time to seek God and fight sin. It's in vain. Waste of time. He's thinking it would be smarter to be on the wide path. I mean, look at how hard this narrow path is. I mean, we're fighting against sin. We're seeking the Lord. I mean, and there's, there's cost. There's persecution. I mean, this is a hard path to go, but look at that path. It's just so wide and so smooth, and look at all the comforts and the the privileges that they have. Maybe this narrow path just isn't worth it. So can you see what's going on? Envy in Asaph's heart is pushing him toward changing paths. He's on the narrow path, but it's, ah, God, put a little foot on it maybe. Just try it out. What's What's that wide path like? And that doesn't just happen to Asaph. Envy pushes us toward changing paths. And there's nothing that's more dangerous than that. Nothing. So we're asking the question, what what deadly sin was overpowering Asaph? And the answer is the envy, the sin of the envy of of, uh, the prosperity of the wicked. So let me give you a picture of Psalm 73. We'll get some arcs up there. Three parts to this psalm. So this first section, verses 1 through 14, we see that Asaph started envying the wicked. But the psalm doesn't stop there. Thank you, Lord. We're grateful. Let's ask this next question. What did God do for Asaph? This is amazing, this next section. And to explain what God did, to put it in context so we feel the, the mercy of it, Asaph starts by explaining how terrible his envy really was. Look at what he says in verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, that is what he had just been saying about his envy. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So inside he was envious and he's, he knows that his envy is ugly because if he had spoken it out, it would have betrayed all of God's people. So I tried to think of what this would be like. Imagine that, that Asaph's on the narrow road. With all of God's people. Okay, we're all moving on towards heaven, right? Fighting the fight of faith, seeking the Lord, forgiving people, loving our enemies, experiencing persecution, getting some cost, but we're it's it's not an easy road, but but we're moving ahead. And also an ASF says, Hold it, everybody, just stop for a second. I mean, to think about it. This is a hard road. There's persecution, there's cost. Seeking the Lord, fighting his faith. Look at that wide road over there. That They're all smiling over there. They've got wealth and comfort and riches. I'm not sure this road's worth it. Why don't we just all move over to that road? Can you feel the horror of Asaph standing up and saying that? Betraying all of God's people? He wants us to feel just how wicked his envy was. That's why he says verse 15. His envy was ugly, and he was struggling to understand. He was saying, okay, well now, well, let's read the verse, verse 16. He struggles to understand it. When I thought how to understand this, like how can it be that, that the wicked are prospering so much? How, how can that be? How does that work? When he thought how to understand this, it seemed, or when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Couldn't figure it out. How can that be? So his his envy just grew and grew, kept pushing him toward the other path. He almost stumbled off the narrow path. He came close to slipping off the narrow path. But then God did something. God did something. Verse 16. Start with verse 16 again. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until... I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discovered their end. That is the the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, You despise them as phantoms. So Asaph went into the sanctuary of God, which probably refers to the temple in Jerusalem. He was going there with God's people to worship, to pray, to hear God's word taught, preached. And while he's there in the sanctuary, in the temple, he discerned their end. He saw the destiny of the wicked. He saw it. Those who won't repent of their sins, who won't bend the knee before Jesus, who won't acknowledge that they deserve judgment, they just need to surrender themselves to Messiah Jesus, to God's mercy, what he would do in the Messiah. They don't walk the narrow path and they will be punished by God forever. Now, what happened in the sanctuary to show Asaph the destiny of the wicked? He doesn't tell us. I think it might be helpful, I thought of a couple possibilities, you can probably think of some more, like maybe, maybe the priest that morning was preaching on the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, he's thinking, oh, okay, or maybe one of the worship songs was talking about God's justice, perfect justice and righteousness in judgment, or maybe somebody had prayed about the, the, the judgment that's coming to the wicked, praying for the church. God's people to go out and tell people about the mercy of God and, and what he would do through the Messiah. We don't know how it happened, but we do know that it happened. Asaph went into the sanctuary, and that changed everything for him. God helped him see the judgment that's coming to the wicked. I mean, think about it. How could you envy someone who, as verses 18 and 19 say, will fall to ruin? will be destroyed in a moment, will be swept away utterly by terrors. How, how can you envy that person? See, the reality of God's final judgment, that truth, changes everything. If you don't think about that, a whole different picture of reality. If you think about that, changes everything. Do you remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? that Jesus told. Very powerful. I would encourage you to read it in the Gospel of of Luke. I mean, picture the beginning. Lazarus is a man on the narrow road. He's trusting God's mercy, what he would do through the Messiah, Jesus. He's poor, though. He's suffering. He's lying outside the gates of the rich man. So there's Lazarus, okay? Then there's the rich man behind these gates, in his estate, enjoying all of his comforts all of his treasures, just piling up more and more riches for himself. So who would look at that picture and envy the poor man, Lazarus? We'd all be drawn to, wow, man, I mean, look at a rich man, right? But that picture completely changes when we add into the equation the final judgment, God's judgment of the wicked. Because Jesus says that that very night, Both of them died. The rich man died. Not only did he lose all of his wealth and comforts and earthly pleasures, he was cast into the lake of fire. The church, I just should mention, whenever we think about the lake of fire and eternal judgment, it it should make us feel great compassion and heartbreak and maybe tears for the lost people around us. We never want to speak lightly. But it's reality. It's reality. He was cast into the lake of fire. But at the same time, Lazarus, who was trusting Jesus, who was on the narrow road, he was welcomed into the joy of God's presence, welcomed by God into his heaven. All satisfying, never-ending joy forever in, in knowing God. So can you see how God's judgment, that truth, completely changes the equation? You know, you have a math equation, and it all looks good, but if you, if you change something else, it changes the equation, right? It just, it changes it. When you look at life, and you look at the narrow path, you look at the wide path, look at the cost, look at all the pleasures that are seemingly going on out there, the equation changes when you look at the end for the eternal destiny that we're both heading towards. So here's the question. How often do you think about death, God's judgment of the wicked. Eternity, eternal destinies. How often do you think about that? Your death is absolutely certain. I mean, there, there's nothing more certain in your life, in your future, than that. That's more certain than you taking this next breath. And so something that certain should Bear on our thinking about reality and how we're going to live and what life is all about. And God used these thoughts to set Asaph free from his envy. He was gripped with envy until he came into the sanctuary. Then Asaph saw that the wide path, the wicked on the wide path, are are heading towards judgment forever. And that stopped his envy when he saw the destiny. Just focus on this part of the white path, you can envy. See where the white path is heading, that'll stop envy. That's what happened with Asaph. Now back to our picture of Psalm 73, this chapter. So in verses 1 through 14, we see that Asaph started envying the wicked. But then in verses 15 through 20, we see that God freed him by showing him their eternal destiny. But there's something else that Asaph needs to learn. It's amazing. What else does God show him? The answer is in verses 21 through 28. And Asaph starts off talking about how how deeply he had sunk into envy. Look at what he says. This is shocking. Verse 21. When my soul was embittered, back when I was... Grappling with this envy, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. He's talking to God. I was brutish, God. I was ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Can you see how, how deeply he had sunk down into envy? He was bitter. He was like a beast towards God, unfeeling, uncaring, stubborn. But look at what he says next, verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Now that's shocking. How can Asaph continually be with God, having God hold his right hand, when Asaph is being like a beast before God? How can that happen? And brothers and sisters, this is a beautiful picture of God's mercy and what he's done for us through Jesus. See, Asaph had trusted God's mercy. The Messiah hadn't come yet, but he had trusted God's mercy, what God promised he would do through the Messiah. And because Asaph was trusting God, his sins, all of them, past, present, and future, would be punished completely by what Jesus would do on the cross in the future. And so God, because of what Jesus would do, because Asaph was trusting God's mercy, which would be accomplished through Jesus, God saved Asaph. And when God saves Asaph and when God saves us, one part of that salvation is that he promises to be with us. We will continuously be with him. He promises to hold our right hands so we don't slip off the narrow path. Asaph is stumbling, he's starting to slip over, but God's got him, and God's got you. Even when you're a beast towards him, he's got you. Philippians 1.6, the good work God has started in you, he will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. Part of his salvation is he's promised that when we start to slip into sin, he will change our hearts. He will convict us of sin. He will empower us. He will do this again and again and again, keeping us on the narrow road all the way to heaven. That's part of our salvation. It's part of the salvation package that Jesus purchased for all who trust him. This is the most amazing news. See, because none of us is strong enough to make it all the way to the end by our, our own resources and power. If you think you are, you're in a dangerous place. If you think you're too weak to make it, I've got good news for you. You're not too weak and you're not strong enough, okay? The answer is that God will keep you going. When you get to heaven and look back on the, the narrow path behind you and you see, well, look at that happened and that happened, that, you know you were fighting the fight of faith, you were battling against sin, you will very clearly see It was God who strengthened you. It was God who held you on the path. It was God who held your right hand. It was God who walked with you. The reason you are in heaven is only because of God himself, and you will fall on your face and worship and thank him because he's the only reason, his mercy in Christ, the only reason that you're there. All glory to you. I never could have made it apart from you, and that's the truth. But because of him, you will. You will. Everyone who trusts Jesus, will be kept all the way to the end. Oh, that's good news. So even though Asaph was like a beast, sinking down into envy, God was faithful to his promises. God worked so that Asaph was continually with him. God was right there, holding his right hand, convicting him of his sin, changing his heart, satisfying his heart with God's love and presence, giving him assurance of future glory. And this experience of God's heart-changing work, heart-satisfying work, heart-freeing work, this experience of God's work showed Asaph another crucial truth, a second crucial truth. See, there were two lies that were fueling Asaph's envy of the wicked. One was the lie that those on the wide path, they're going to be fine forever. That's a lie. And God said, look at eternal judgment, look at punishment. Oh, destroyed that lie. Okay, that lie's gone. But there's another lie that Asaph was dealing with. And this lie is that only the pleasures of the wide path can really satisfy me. That's what we're all believing when we envy those on the wide path. I won't really be satisfied unless I have that, or if I had that. Or if I had that and that, I'd, then, then I'd be really satisfied. That, that would do it for me. That's a lie. You're thinking that only the pleasures from the wide path will fully satisfy you. And Asaph had bought that lie. The first lie was taken care of, but this second lie still needs to be taken care of. And in verse 25, we see that God had destroyed that lie as well. Verse 25. Asaph says, Whom have I in heaven but you? Look at who is there in heaven for me. You are there. And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I don't desire anything. When I see who you are, I don't desire anything besides you. Now, how did God teach him that? It's because as he was in the sanctuary, he experienced God's heart-changing work, God's love, God's power, God satisfying him, God freeing him, and he knew that he was more filled with the presence of God, the beauty of Jesus Christ. Well, he wasn't seeing Jesus super clearly yet. The beauty of the Messiah, as foretold in the Old Testament, the glory, the mercy, the majesty of God, that his heart for the first time was was filled, not not for the first time, but filled like nothing in the world had ever filled him. He was filled. That's how he knew. As a result, then he says, I'm going to desire God alone. Alone. Now, just a little side note here. God can and does give us many other gifts, right? Sunsets. Music, friends, biryani, okay, food, right, whatever it might be, right? God gives us many other gifts, but none of those gifts satisfy us completely. They point us to the one who does satisfy us completely, but none of those gifts satisfy us completely. Only God can fully satisfy us, which is why Asaph and which is why we should desire nothing on earth besides him. Now, let me be quick to say that that is a constant battle for all of us, right? I mean, all day long, it's like being drawn over here, although that looks interesting. Look at that over there, right? And God's always there, heart-satisfying treasure, my joy, my refuge. But we're just drawn back and forth. It's a constant battle, isn't it? Okay, none of us, is desiring, on, I don't think, is desiring only God all day long. If, if you are, let's talk, okay? I wanna hear, hear some more of your story. We all battle this, we're all drawn to other things. But the, the, the beauty is, God will help us grow and grow and grow and grow. Every believer can look back over the last five, 10 years, whatever it might be, and you now desire God alone more consistently than you did a year ago, five years ago, a month ago. That's what God does. Now, this is crucial for us to learn because this is the motivation, the fuel of the Christian life. This is what needs to go in the gas tank to keep your engine going. Remember the parable that Jesus told of the treasure in the field. This illustrates this psalm perfectly. Look at Matthew 13:44. Very powerful. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. So a man's walking through a vacant lot, stubs his toe on a corner of a box sticking out, he digs around a little bit, digs around Opens that box up, oh my, it is full of money, gold and silver, and just like un- massive treasure there. So he puts the top back on and covers it back up and walks out and notices that there's a for sale sign. The box is too big for him to move by himself, so for sale sign. So let me just keep reading the parable. Jesus told it better than I am. Matthew 13, 44, treasure in the field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, why would this man sell all that he had to buy that field? It's because the treasure in the field is worth far more than all he had. That's why. Let's say he was rich. Maybe he has a a million dirhams worth of stuff. Well, the treasure in the field is worth easily trillions of dirhams. So who wouldn't give away a million to receive trillions. It's obvious, right? Okay, pull out your calculator and just put in, okay, million minus trillions, all right? Okay, I know you all get it. You all get it. And that's Jesus' point. This man sells all that he has, gives up a million Durham's worth of stuff because he wants the trillion Durham treasure in the field. And what is the treasure in the field. It's the joy of knowing God in the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the treasure. You've tasted, right? You know, right? There's no comparison. Yes, there's joys over there on the wide wide road, but they do not come close to filling you, and they certainly don't satisfy you. They are temporary Partial joys. They are that. That's why they can be tempting. But they are nothing compared to the treasure in the field. That's what Asaph is talking about. The treasure in the field. Knowing God. Worshipping him. Fellowshipping with him. Glorifying him. Serving him. Trusting him. Read verse 25 again. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. So I can keep my million dirhams if I'm on the wide road, or I can get a trillion dirhams on the narrow road. I'll take the trillion. I'll take the trillion. The all-satisfying, never-ending joy of beholding God's glory in Christ. That was a crucial lesson for Asaph to learn. So God had showed him two truths. One, in the sanctuary, God had showed him the wide path. You're ending those people. That leads to destruction. That's the first truth. Second truth, the wide path will never satisfy. Only I will satisfy. That's what God taught him. So it's not in vain to travel on the narrow path. Is it hard? yes. Talk to our Afghani brothers and sisters in Christ. North Korean brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, it can be hard. But it's never in vain. Because on that path, on the path, not just in the future, but now on the path, we have Jesus with us. The joy of knowing God in Christ is on this path with us. We experience this on the path, and even more is coming forever. So it is not in vain to battle sin. It's not in vain to seek God, forgive our enemies, share the gospel with people. It's not in vain. The treasure in the field we can experience on the path and even more forever. Now, in verse 26, look at how this experience impacted Asaph. He says, "'My flesh and my heart may fail.'" But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Two things may fail: his flesh and his heart. Let's start with his flesh. I mean, start with his heart. His heart may fail, which means he may once again be pulled into sin. Sin will be pulling on him. Okay, that that'll happen again. But God will be the strength of his heart and restore him, just like he did when he went into the sanctuary. He's confident of that. His heart may fail, but God is the strength of his heart. So he'll keep on the path. He knows he will. And his flesh may fail. He will die one day. But God will be his portion, which means his inheritance, his prize, his treasure. That's what God will be. Then in verses 27 and 28, look what he says. For behold... Those who are far from you, the wide road, shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God on the narrow road. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Those who are far from God on the wide road will perish. And that should just weigh on us, brothers and sisters. We should be talking to people on the wide road, loving people on the wide road, weeping over people that are on the wide road. That's why we're here, is to help people make that switch from the wide road to the narrow road. Those who are far from God on the wide road, wide path will perish. And Asaph doesn't envy what they've got on that wide road because he knows that It's good. To be near God. That's where the true joy is found. That's where hearts get filled in knowing God. He can take refuge in God at any moment. When he's downcast, when he's worried, like we read from Philippians 4 earlier, when he's feeling insecure or fearful... Whatever it might be, he can always take refuge in God. God is always there through Jesus Christ. When you're on the narrow road, God is always there, and you can take refuge in him and meet him and be strengthened, comforted, satisfied, met by him. Now back to our picture of this chapter. Three parts. Verses 1 through 14. Asaph started envying the wicked. Then second, verses 15 through 20. God freed him by showing him their eternal destiny. And then finally, verses 21 through 28, God also freed him by helping him see that only God can fully satisfy him. Do you see how God met Asaph and freed him from the two lies, the two lies that were gripping him, holding him in envy? God freed him by destroying both of those two lies. And see, look at God's mercy in Christ. Asaph, close to slipping, close to stumbling, God met him and changed his heart. You've experienced God doing that for you, haven't you? This is our God. Mercy, love, compassion, care, grace upon grace upon grace. That's what Asaph experienced. Now let me give you four takeaways from this passage. First of all, church, fight the deadly sin of envy. Don't say, well, everybody gets jealous. Everybody gets envious sometimes. That may be true, but don't blow it off. It's deadly. If if there's envy in your heart, it is pulling you away from the narrow road. You have something in your heart that's pulling you. It's, It's in there. It's pulling you away from the narrow road, the narrow path fight the deadly danger of envy, and do it by opening up to Psalm 73 and praying through this psalm. That's one of the reasons that God had Asaph write this prayer for us, where he reveals what's been happening into his heart, all of it, and what God did for him. So pray over this psalm. You can't get free from envy by your own gritted, teeth, or willpower. You need the power of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures, and they will for you. God will for you through the word of God. So fight envy with Psalm 73. And then second, take time to think about death and the judgment of the wicked and eternity. Take time to stop and think. Fuller, you are going to die one day. That is absolutely certain. And all that's going to matter then is the treasures you've piled up in heaven, people you've strengthened in faith, people you've brought to faith, sin you've battled in your life, and eternal joy is going to await you. Think about those things. Talk to yourself about that. That is the most certain future, the eternal destiny, heaven, hell, judgment, every single one of us. We're all going to be there. Think about that. Make sure you're on the narrow path that leads to glory. Are you on the narrow path? Every single one of us here this morning, you're either on the wide path or the narrow path. How do you make sure you're on the narrow path? You trust Jesus Christ. You turn from your sin, you trust him. Say, Jesus, help me. Forgive me for all my sins through your death on the cross. Change my heart, free my heart like you've... like freed Asaph's heart? And would you pour your love into my heart, bring your presence upon me so I can taste how gloriously all-satisfying you are? Trust Jesus Christ, you will be on the narrow path on your way to glory. Third, understand that your only lasting, all-satisfying joy is knowing God in Christ. Do you know that? Do you believe that? You've all had enough time to be disappointed enough by the world, right? You already bought one of those, didn't do it. You already had that kind of relationship, didn't do it, right? You've already done that, didn't do it. Been there, done that a million times. But Jesus Christ will satisfy you completely. He promises, and he died to pay for your sins so that you could receive that amazing gift of the joy of knowing him. Understand that your only lasting, all-satisfying joy is knowing God in Christ. And then fourth, live to get as much of that joy as you can, now and forever. Live to get as much of that joy as you can, now and forever. On that point, I thought of Jim Elliott's amazing quote, You've, most of you have probably heard this. He was a missionary to Indians in South America who ended up, who killed him. But here's what he wrote in his journal He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Give up what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. Jesus, now and forever. Let's pray together. Why don't you stand? (laughs) What a glorious Savior you are. We praise you for the gift of your Son, for forgiveness for all of our slipping and stumbling and envying and sin. We praise you that when we put our trust in you, you start a work in us that you will continue all the way to glory, that you will always be holding our right hands and that you will always pull us back. You will always convict us. You will always set us free. You will always change our hearts. You're faithful, faithful, faithful. We praise you for the joy that you are to us. And I pray that you'd free us from envy, I pray that you'd help us to see eternity. I pray that we could live to have more joy in you now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.